and welcome to episode 192 of the NFL Scotland podcast. It is the Jubilee, so we're going all British and we're moaning about the prices of tickets at Wembley. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Yep, lots of things just to chat about, a general catch-up about where we are regarding the NFL. And to do that, we're joined also by Ian Stephen Resplendent in Eagles Green with the Eagles players in the background. Morning, Ian. Hello. What, so a, great, what, yeah. a, great day, what a great weekend for the Jubilee this is. <laughs> to completely <laughs> ignore it and talk NFL. Let's go. <laughs> Um, so let's start where we talked about the very top there, because tickets, our favourite subject here in the UK. First of all, we like to moan about the games that we've actually got, but this year it's pretty decent, so we can't really moan about that. Then we like to moan about the prices of tickets. So, Paul, you and I have uh, been fortunate enough to secure our seats for Wembley at a somewhat substantially increased price. I'm not sure about... Uh, how it is in the hoity-toity area of Wembley that you tend to sit, but where I am in the padded seats in the middle tier, um, 30% increase in ticket price vis 2019 when I was last there. Now, obviously, at a time where cost of living's in play, where everybody, we know the price of things going up, and we understand that, that's quite a big uplift in cost, though. Um, and let's be honest, it's still the Jacksonville Jaguars that I'm paying to see. So they've not got 30% better, have they? Have they? <laughs> I think we should set this in a little bit of context, first of all, because people will know I'm a Saints fan and wondering why I'm not going to the Saints game at Tottenham. Uh, the group of folk that I go with, uh, you know, we took a vote regarding the game and I'm quite happy to go to the Broncos against the Jags because one of our guys, Phil, is a huge Broncos fan. They've not been here for a decade and I'm quite happy to go and see Russell Wilson play. Also, as we have said on this pod before, I much prefer Wembley to Tottenham. But let, let's have a look at this. So for level two, sideline central, £178. And the sideline, so, you know, you could be as far as the sort of 10, the 10 yard line or up to the 35 is £172. I mean, £6 a difference doesn't strike you as being very good. End zone 127. Go down to level one at Wembley. Your top category, 132, 128, uh, 84. A children's ticket you can get for £28. Go to level five, which is the top level of Wembley. For a decent seat, you're 95 or 87 quid. I mean, the, the price rises are quite stunning. And I have to say, Cameron, in the, in the posh in the posh hospitality, the prices are eye watering yeah, compared to imagine. what they normally are. I mean, they they've gone up roughly what you said about thirty percent. Now, I get that things change, and there would have been incremental costs. You know, over the years we've not been there. This is too much. It's way too much. Uh, we are in danger of pricing people out of the game. Uh, everybody's struggling. Fuel travel, everything's more expensive and I don't think the NFL have helped themselves here. I think if they come out and said look for this year, there's going to be a small increase, let's do that but actually we're going to try and hold off they will counter, I would imagine by saying that people vote with their feet if you don't want to go, don't go yeah. if you do want to go, you'll go and what you'll probably find out is that having three games that they will I suspect all sell out. I just think this is a little bit on the heavy side, and I do feel sorry for people. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the hospitality as I always do because I've saved up, put the money away for it, uh, and it's a, it's an event that we go to. Um, 
but yeah, it, it does leave a bit of a sour taste. There's also the booking fee element now with Ticketmaster, not the NFL. So this is not a shot at the NFL at all, but the, the, the booking fee, £16 per ticket, which, you know, over £30 just for the privilege of being able to book it. Now, if you times that by the number of people likely to attend, and if £16 is the average booking fee, you're well over a million pounds. There's no way it costs Ticketmaster anything like a million pounds to put all the uh, infrastructure in place to be able to produce these tickets. And you have to pay £2 extra to receive it as a digital ticket so you can download it and save it to your phone. You have to pay to receive it digitally now. It used to be you would get it free in the post. Fine, they started adding for postage and you could go, well, fair enough, they've got overhead. What's the overhead for us getting it digitally? Nonsense. So there's stuff like that that just, you've already paid a lot more. You've then seen your booking fees gone way up and then you've got to pay £2 to get it in your email. Just a little bit like, come on, folks, let's wind our necks in here um, and, and let's not get this too carried away. However... This is a story we've moaned about many, many times. The prices then for Wembley, sorry, for Munich and Tottenham come out and they're lower. And I think that's the other part to this as well is like, why is Wembley so much more than, because again, it's the Jags. So it's it's a weird one. You know, the Packers game, it, uh, the Packers Giants is huge demand, but the ticket prices are cheaper. So it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Um, be really interested to hear what people think. Do people think the increase is fair? Do people agree with what Paul says? Is it a case that, you know what, as long as people are buying these tickets, the prices are going to keep going up? Who knows? Do share your thoughts uh, and let us know there. But, listen, Cameron, listen, yeah. Cameron, listen, listen, sorry, this, I, yeah. this is a podcast of science, okay? We don't just come out with hyperbole and unfounded <laughs> random assertions. So, Paul, what is the price of a ticket at Wembley, the lower section, the, the, the better seats you can get? Not the most expensive, but a, a decent lower bowl seat. You're, you're looking at either £84 or £128. I'll say £120, that's the, for the lower bowl, because I think the higher, the, right up at the top is £80. Um, how, how much is a, a, a plane, plane, plane fare to London then, if you're flying from Glasgow or Edinburgh? Are you... Uh, you're looking at probably 150 pounds, I would say. Right, 150 to turn. Hotel for two nights. Uh, I can tell you that because well, I've got a hotel for one night that's 200 pounds at the Wembley area, so 400 pounds if you want to stay at Wembley. Here's here's a contentious one: stadium food prices. If oh. you're going to get two beers and a burger, how much is that at Wembley? That's so the last time last time I was there, a beer was seven pound a pint. So seven pound a pint. And a, a hot dog's a tenner. Okay, so, so that's 24, right? Yeah. Normal food and drink for your weekend. Bear in mind it's London, you'll be eating out a lot. What, your budget maybe about 200 for that? Yeah, over two days. I think that's for a £100 a day budget because you're going to booze up afterwards. You're going to go and watch Red Zone after the game, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And then ancillary travel, so maybe, what, an extra 50 quid for some... Tubes, maybe a couple of taxis because you stayed out a bit late one night. Okay, let's do let's do the maths on this. Um, right, while he's doing the maths <laughs> on that, can I just say that the companies like Ticketmaster, I, I've mentioned this before, it's been in the press. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god. <laughs> 952 quid. <laughs> yeah, you could get to New York for that, by the way. I, I, I thought he was having a seizure. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just one person. What if you want to go with your better half? What if you want to take your kids? 
There's no way you can uh, you can justify that in uh, today's climate. Seriously, look at going to London and then look at going to New York or Philly or Boston or Baltimore, Washington, one of the Miami, one of the East Coast cities. There is not going to be much difference in price. And it's a hundred times better experience going to the States to take in the game than it is going to Wembley. I would seriously, seriously advise people just go to somewhere like Touchdown Trips and say to them, listen, just what's a quote to go to a New York Giants or a New York Jets game? Just give me a quote and they will come back with a price that will beat 952 quid. That's near enough guaranteed for a trip to, to London. Now, see if it's your team, right? See if you're a Packers fan like... We've got a Packers fan in the podcast. I can't remember his name. He's very quite a quiet and unassuming guy. We don't really hear from him very much. But if you've never seen the Packers play, you're you're in the UK. I can understand the demand, and you'll pay a price to go and see it. That's great. What happens if you're one of these fans that has a, a season ticket? And you're never guaranteed what game you're going to get. It's never your team that plays. You live somewhere like Aberdeen or Inverness. You're worried about losing your season ticket if you don't go one one set of fixtures. And you end up having to keep forking out these prices to go and see the Jags versus the Lions or whatever you end up getting. And and you're a Redskins fan, for example. It is not worth it in that economy. And you may well find that this might be the year where people who are season ticket holders actually say, you know what, I can't I can't justify this anymore. And this might be the crux that kind of the NFL are testing every every single year they're testing something and they're testing what the the um resilience of the UK market is if there is some form of recession with tickets because they're not going to bring the Jaguars here and then five years later people say you know what too expensive I'm not going to go anymore and they've brought a, a franchise across to to Europe for no reason. They're testing Germany now Germany is the first year of testing and they are looking to see everything about Germany. They're going via different cities part of the bidding process because they're going to come back with um each city is going to have a different, unique selling point to the NFL, and they're going to work out what is going to be their preferred choice in future. So this is a pivotal year for the NFL, and they are setting high prices. But I said to you guys before that they've done the same with the WWE when they're coming over to Cardiff. They set the prices incredibly high. And I don't know if it's businesses trying to recoup losses from the COVID crisis, but they've not read the current zeitgeist and, it is going to be pivotal for what the actual trigger point is for people to say, no, no more, we can't justify this. I had a quick look at Touchdown Trips while you were chatting there. Um, and you're right, you know, £900 we talked about. Now, that fine, that includes food, but, you know, whatever. You're £900. For double that, fine, double it. For £1,800 per person, right, Touchdown Trips are doing... Direct flights from London to New Orleans. Four nights in a four-star downtown New Orleans hotel. Tickets to see LSU versus Alabama at LSU, including transfers from New Orleans and back again. Then tickets to see the Saints versus the Ravens on Monday Night Football. Then a return back to the airport and home. So, you know, as an experience, if you've got the money and you're thinking, oh, I'm quite happy to spend that. Would you spend double to go to the States and go and take all that in? 
it's definitely a better offer. Um, see what, see, see what, because we're a, a podcast and we're, we're audible, we're not video. There is a slight squeaking on the the feed at the moment, and just as soon as she said "trip to New Orleans," Paul actually took his shirt off and began actually tweaking his nipples. <laughs> so that's what that that noise was. But to, to would you? Think about it logically. Would you save for two years to go for a, over to the States for a, an absolutely fantastic trip? Or would you just each year keep going to Wembley or keep going to uh, Spurs to see not your team? I, I mean, you really are favouring towards moving towards the the US um, the US option. But one thing that, that we, we, we live in a capitalist society, people are always trying to make money. It's the way the businesses work. But the way that we've done things in the podcast and the way we've always talked about it is keeping prices incredibly low for fans to come and enjoy the experience. We could charge 10 times the price for one of the Edinburgh shows um, and fans would turn up and they would pay the money, but that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is to offer an experience for everybody to enjoy. And it's going to come to a, a point where the NFL will, will become elitist and exclusionary, and it's only going to be upper middle class people that can go. It, it might end up just being like the Premier League, where it's like people turning up from um, Malaysia and Saudi Arabia, and there's nobody locally that ends up can afford going to the games. Yeah, I think the message here is that it is far too expensive and things like Ticketmaster, I mean, you know, we've all worked within business and IT. It doesn't cost 16 quid a ticket to process. I mean, this blatant profiteering. And if, if the NFL want to justify their prices, go ahead, but stop your fan base getting ripped off by companies like Ticketmaster who are an utter disgrace and we haven't even we haven't even touched we haven't even touched on um secondary market yet yeah yeah. we we covered that last time because there was there was a whole pile of tickets got swept away for some of these games straight to the secondary market and it's companies like Ticketmaster who have secondary sites it's in their interest to do this and that's precisely what they do they hammer these tickets across there and they screw people a second time i am all for people making money I'm all for capitalism. I'm all in on that. I am not for being ripped off. And the NFL is teetering in the UK in a in a rip-off state. And I'm with you, Ian. I, I would actually, in answer to your question, I would save up for two years and go to a trip in the States to forgo, uh, you know, two years back-to-back in London, if, that, if that's what it came I'd, to. I'd, I'm conscious that I might have been quite ableist by what I was saying, and that there might be some people who are not physically able to get to the, the States. And their only option is the UK. And it might be people that, that, that can't fly for whatever reason that are going to end up being desperate for Packers tickets or Broncos tickets. And that's where they're going to end up having the dilemma of, of um, going on to the secondary market to get what will be a one... I mean, it could be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've only, the Eagles have only came over to London once. I've only seen them in London once. And if I'm not able to fly, that, that might have been my my one and only chance. And there's a variety of circumstances that people are in. So um, you'll prop the, the secondary market. It, it covers every sport. There's anger around it for normal people not being able to go because it's been priced out and you could not even just a a podcast you could do an entire anthology in the outrage of the secondary market so it's probably best to just kind of relax and calm down and (laughs) (laughs) but no you're you're right though like 
London works for a lot of people. Uh, you know, it might be that £900 is as maximum as you can go there for that American trip. Absolutely. I think the point there is, though, is more around the fact that it's for really when you're spending that much money, it's not that much more to go to the States, which makes that seem like that's a, such a luxury item, uh, which makes it really difficult. So, no, I think we've covered some good points there. Um, we will move on, though, because there's a number of questions that we've had asked on Twitter. We went out and said to people, what are the talking points you want to cover? There's some really meaty topics came back that we'll probably save and we'll do some of them over the next couple of podcasts. But there's a few quick snappy ones to keep us going. And Lord Callahan will start us off with, could Cameron compete for the commander's starting quarterback position? Because Gordon McGuinness isn't here to poo-poo me. Absolutely. Carson Wentz is terrible. Anything more to add? Yeah. It's always it's always poo poo when Gordon McGinnis is involved. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you know me, Cameron. I'm I'm Mister Positive when it comes to these things. Uh, but even I would pick Carson Vents over you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rude. Right. Uh, Robin Lawrence asked the question though. Obviously, this is the second year that the schedule has released to 17 games. How many games is too many? Uh, is this, you know, we're talking about testing the waters in Europe and things like that. Do we think that 17 is the absolute maximum that the NFL are going to go to? Or do we think that they're going to try and eke this out further in the coming years? The answer to the question is how many is too many? 17 is the answer. It's too many. 16 should be the normal schedule and you just drop a game off um, the preseason. I think that's more than enough to get to where you need to get to in the playoffs. The 17th game has been brought in to allow this international expansion even more so teams that aren't unhappy at sacrificing a home game. That That's all it is. Plus, well, all it is plus television and more money, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about the players. It's not about the fans. Follow the money. Simple as that. And if they think they can get away with 18, they'll get away with 18. Again, it's all about the cash. Nothing else. Not player safety. Not what the fans want. Anything like that. Cash. Paul, as well as being Mr. Handsome, you're also Mr. Baseball. How many uh, baseball games are there in a season currently? 162. Right. So the NFL would shoehorn 162 NFL games in if it wasn't for medical physics, where the players would just completely and utterly break down. And it, it is a case of how, how they can get players through to a reasonable level of attrition. Um, and will they properly remunerate the players for an extra game? That is literally what it's going to come down to. Um, and at the moment, I mean, you can argue that 16 games is too much for the the body to cope with physically. The amount of um, explosive knee injuries that you see nowadays, because you could argue that players overtrain and their, their muscular skeleton is too powerful for, for their... Um, support skeleton. Um, so it, it literally will come down to it. when will the players collapse and not be able to get on the field. That is the line that the NFL will will draw. And they'll try and water down the game to eke more um, uh, longevity out of the players over a season. So they'll try and reduce clashes of heads or explosive tackles or whatever. But it will merge towards getting as many games as possible, especially with the fact you don't have just one broadcast partner. You've got multiple broadcast partners over a season and they're all going to want a piece of it and they're all want to go and try, try and expand and get their own slice of the NFL market because it makes money for them. So that's what it's, it's going to come down to. They'll water down the game and they'll keep expanding if they can. 
the XFL have just done a television deal as well due to kick off in 2023 straight after the NFL season. Do we think that the NFL will perhaps keep a close eye on that and, and try and maximize appetite based on how the XFL succeeds? The USFL, I don't know if you guys have watched any of it, but it feels very AAF versus anything else. The XFL, I felt last time around, had a little bit more to it. It does feel like there's some investment going in. Obviously, The Rock's heavily involved. That's a big name. The big contract with ESPN, where there does seem to be some money coming into that. I think, Ian, you we talked about this offline, but previously, you know, there'd been a TV deal, but it was more that they were just providing the TV coverage. There wasn't necessarily an exchange of uh, funds or anything like that. But if the XFL can establish itself and actually grow as a spring league post-Super Bowl, that might be the way for the NFL to, to wring the appetite dry um, of the football fans that we've got. The the XFL were about to become an incredibly successful uh, um, league concept until Vince McMahon stepped out on the field and went, welcome to the XFL! <laughs> and everyone just went, oh God, it is wrestling, so... It's not going to work. And everybody's interested because The Rock's behind this. I mean, it's not just The Rock. It's his yeah. business partners, his former um, wife. Yeah. Um, and the potential really... People are people are desperate for it, but the TV companies are not willing to invest a huge amount of money into what might be just another massive flop and disaster. So it is going to be a case of um, the, the majority of revenue coming through advertising for the XFL, but it could end up being an amazing product. That We don't have this catch-all system that the NFL Europe was where you would get talented players that slip through the system and could play well in the league. And there will be interest at that point. I mean, we're sitting in that point of the year right now. It's tedious. There's nothing happening. We're desperately hoping for somebody to retire or somebody to go on a bizarre shoplifting rampage to give us something to talk about. So the XFL has such a high level of success, potentially, but it is how much stock the television company gives to it versus the amount of money they'll have to spend on it. So it'll be interesting to see what initial viewing figures are because if they get a good initial success, then money will start to filter in. Production quality will go up. They'll get better scheduling slots on television. They might even bring in better commentators like Paul Mitchell, who's Scotland's finest. Allegedly, that's true. But <laughs> let's look at a couple of things. One, sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. We don't need the NFL all year round to be dominating. I think they've got all the, the good points at the moment. I think we are in the low season and I think it's quite nice, you know, let baseball have its space. You know, you're looking at the ice hockey playoffs, you're looking at the NBA playoffs, let them have their slot in the calendar. I don't think you need to dominate things because I think it, it gets to the point, And I think we mentioned this in the last segment about there's a tipping point for, for going to London to watch these games. And I think there's a tipping point for just sheer saturation of the NFL. Sometimes you just leave people want that little bit more and that's fine. I don't want to worry. There is a market for the Spring League and I think they will get there. I think they've butchered the opportunities up till now. There's certainly a market for it. Um, and once they get that right, you know, TV money will follow rather than just the production costs. But at the moment, the thing with all these spring leagues that nobody's really looking at is the fans. 
you know, the USFL has been very poorly attended. It's been played in the one place. It doesn't look particularly great. You're not going to grow a franchise and a fan base from the, you know, people who got behind the, the, you know, the AF, which I thought looked fairly promising for a while. But, you know, these people have just dissipated again. You know, some people have got their Orlando jersey or their St. Louis jersey. But, you know, it's hard to build a fan base up as well. So you don't want over over egg it. Look at Major League Soccer. They are successfully building franchises across the USA. They'll still only be the fourth biggest sport, but they're doing it within the marketplace that they can make work. The NFL, to me, should just step back a little bit into its box and concentrate what it's good at. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it does. There is obviously, I think, as in the 2021 season, there was 42 players that had played in the XFL were on NFL rosters. So it shows that, you know, it, it it gives better exposure and experience to these players. It depends on the appetite. Like you see, I agree with you, Paul. The The optics from the USFL, it doesn't look great when there's a big empty stadium that, and that's all you're seeing because it's all played in Birmingham. The Birmingham games get an attendance. Uh, the rest of them really like empty stadiums, which is just, yeah, not great at all. Um, okay, this is one for you in particular, Ian. Paul Sneddon asks, Dallas Cowboys, is it their year? Yes, I'm confident they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, and I, for one, will rejoice in their particular success. Um, <laughs> it's always it's always a year for the Cowboys, isn't it? It's, they get hyped up so much. Um, they've, got, they've got a top 10 quarterback. They've got a very good offensive line. Um, but they're creaking. Um, they've lost one of their best wide receivers. Um, you could argue that Ezekiel Elliott is maybe their second best running back now. They've never been the most solid in defence. Um, and I know obviously I'm biased, but the Eagles have really tried to strengthen in the, the offseason and really push. You could argue the NFC is maybe not as strong as the FC, so there's more potential for them putting a string of eight games together, winning on the trot and then getting the number one seed. It's possible. Um, but it's also the NFC East and it's going to end up being the Giants that win it because nobody's expected it. So <laughs> whenever you go into the thing, ever you think this is our year to win the NFC East, something terrible happens. Um, the good thing about the Cowboys being competitive is it lifts the interest of every other team in the NFC. Paul, Paul will tell you straight away he hates the Falcons but he would love to beat the Cowboys if they came down to New Orleans to play them. The same with you, the, going back to the rivalry with the 49ers in the, the 90s, Cameron. If you play the Cowboys, you want to beat them. Yeah. So if the Cowboys are competitive and you're the team that can knock them off that pedestal, then you're going to feel really good about yourself. You're going to want to tune in and watch that game. Um, if you're a betting man, you're maybe looking at 50-50 with the Eagles being serious um, to win that division. Um, but is Aaron Rodgers just too good to, to get past at Green Bay? Um, and there's going to be that team that nobody's going to expect. It's going to come riding a wave and uh, putting a, a couple of um, uh, eagles to send them packing because uh, that wasn't that wasn't a pun, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, just on the NFC East, you know, looking back, you know, we had a bit of fun when Washington came out with the new name, the Commanders. I've had a little think about this. I've done a little bit of exploring and, and more. Th and, and the more I think about it, the more I realise I was absolutely right. It's a terrible name. 
they've done a terrible job of branding them, and it's horrific. There we go. <laughs> Cheap shots, just out of the side. Uh, there was a point that you made there, though, Ian, that brings us on to the next question. In a way, um, obviously, there's always a team comes out of nowhere, does better than they expect. So we had a question here from, I just lost it. Ah, yeah, JP Ryan asked, candidates for the most surprising playoff team from last season to fall off and completely miss out on the playoffs this season? Oh, it's definitely Cincinnati Bengals. Definitely. Um, because Burroughs already had a history of the injury. Um, I, I'm not convinced in their offensive line. Um, and I, I don't think... I, I think maybe they were two years too early to become a, a consistent kind of mini-dynasty, if you will, a team that always reaches the playoffs. And you've always got that jinx of being the losing Super Bowl team the next season. So it's 100% it's the Bengals. Yeah. Anyone else, Paul, that you would throw into the mix? Because it does feel like the Bengals is the biggest contender, especially in that division. If the Ravens can stay fit this year, and it does feel like the Browns, if they've got Deshaun Watson, they've obviously got Amari Cooper, they potentially take a step forward in overall talent. Um, anyone other than the Bengals, Paul? Well, I mean, if you look at the teams that actually made the playoffs, if I can expand the questions slightly, who do we expect not to get back there as well as the drop-off? You've got to look at Pittsburgh and I, you know, I think they got a little bit lucky getting into the playoffs last year. Um, I mean, of the teams that reached the championship games, I'm still amazed San Francisco got there. I'm sorry, Cameron. No, no, you know, if, if you're looking for potential drop off, I think it's at San Francisco because I think, and I'll be interested in Ian's take on this. I don't think Cincinnati necessarily overachieved given the talent that they had. I think they had a good team. I think San Francisco really overachieved with the team that they had. So if I was expecting anybody to drop, it would be San Francisco because I don't think their talent matched being a championship side. Where Cincinnati, I take his point, you know, everything went right for them as well. But I thought there was quality around their squad. And I think that's the difference. That's the difference for me. I think Paul makes a very good point because... You can sometimes have a team where the quarterback is so good, he pulls the rest of the team along. You could maybe argue that's what happens in Green Bay. But you can also have a team where the team are so good, they pull the quarterback along. And that happened in, in San Francisco because Garoppolo is not an elite quarterback. They've got a youngster who could be an elite quarterback. He looks so much like Josh Allen. Um, but repeating consistently with a quarterback that's below elite level in the NFL is incredibly, incredibly difficult. So it's testament to how good the coaching was and how good some of the players were in that that team. Fred Warner's an incredibly underrated player in terms of national exposure. So I think Paul makes a, a, a really, really valid point. So there you go. Uh, one other question then that we'll go to, because like I say, there's some stoters in here, but I think we'll save some of them for future podcasts. But Dan Connor asks, which UK player will have the biggest impact in the NFL next season? Jamie Gillen. I think he's due a bounce back. He's too good a punter. You know, he, he had coronavirus. He wasn't quite on where he was with Cleveland. Who knows where he got cut up and all that Cleveland stuff. I think he'll bounce back. I think he's a, he's a great pickup for the Giants. Yeah, certainly it's a very Scottish uh, kicking team, that kicking room. And, you know, Graham, <laughs> yeah. 
You could say Graham Gano as well. Graham Gano scored the most points for the Giants last year. It remains one of the better kickers in the NFL. Massively consistent, highly capable. You know, there's, there's definitely one part of the Giants that feels pretty safe. Um, Ian, anyone else that's in that conversation? Effie Abada, obviously. We've got David Jabo, if he can get fit and come back and make an impact. Who do you think has the biggest impact? Oh, it, it comes down to the, the, the debate of how much do you value your kicker over somebody who plays on offense or defense because if a jab was able to make it onto the field and maybe get one or two sacks, then he becomes the the poster boy for NFL UK, even though Graham Goodall might be setting points records for the Giants because people just don't like kickers. Um, so, I mean, it really, it really, really depends on Ojabo's uh, rehab, um, especially when you've got a, a podcast of completing our marks for him. So <laughs> it's his own personal cheating media section. So, yeah, Ojabo's definitely in that conversation. Absolutely. Um, okay, one other question that we'll go to before we kind of wrap things up with a few talking points. Uh, Reese Nunes asks, Patriots offensive play calling, is anyone really bothered or are we just making news? This obviously the fact that there is currently not a New England Patriots offensive coordinator. Is Belichick going to do it himself? Do we think someone's going to get the position? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. I don't think there's any doubt. If it didn't matter, the other 30-odd teams wouldn't have one. So, yes, I think it does matter. I think this is just, this is a summer, early summer story. It will get sorted out. Somebody will be there with a clipboard calling the plays. I, I, yeah, I think this is just slightly overhyped. It yeah. may well just be a case of um, the Patriots who will uh, promote a position coach to offensive coordinator, but Belichick will loom large over them like some sort of a spectre of doom. Palpatine. Um, yeah, to ensure they do exactly, <laughs> exactly what he commands. So, um, it's so mad that I'm going to call a run bill. Good, good. <laughs> I mean, that's it, yeah. He's, he's not had this comparison to Palpatine for so long without cause. Um, absolutely an empire. Uh, quite an amazing career he's had. It wouldn't surprise me to find out he's played the cause and there's some pats he put up front just to wave his hands around with a sheet, cover his mouth up and just absolutely just be ordering his breakfast. You know, it could be anything going on behind there. Um, okay, so a couple of talking points from around the NFL that we need to cover. We talked about retirees, the Niners, and we talked about the Niners slipping back. Alex Mack, obviously a big player there, centre, has decided to hang up his boots there is not a lot of experience left in San Francisco, that position. Great player. Uh, the offensive line, a big part of why San Francisco did so well. He's a massive loss. Also, Frank Gore signed a one-day contract with the 49ers to officially retire as a Niner. Always great. To be perfectly honest, I would have played him this season. I think he <laughs> could still contribute. That man, that man could play longer than Brady, and I'm not hearing anything otherwise. Other notable retirements, though, Ryan Fitzpatrick. It does feel like a loss to us all, um, losing him from the seeing him as a quarterback. However, lots of chat about him going to the TV booth. And personally, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago about Brady and the value of Brady. Is he worth all the money he's getting? I genuinely am more excited to hear what Ryan Fitzpatrick has got to say about the quarterback position in the games than I am about what Tom Brady's got to say. I think as a character, um, he's, he's got a lot more to bring. See, I, I totally agree that 
part of Paul's job when he does commentary and he's got somebody beside him is he's got to be able to get that person to open up and divulge some sort of interesting fact or story or anecdote. And if he's sitting with somebody wooden, then his job becomes incredibly difficult. And part of me thinks that what could happen with Brady, but with somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Paul would just give him a set-up sentence and he's away for like 10 minutes on some sort of wonderful transcendent tangent that everybody just enjoys. It might not have anything to do with football, but Paul just gets to sit back, um, chug his, his normal commentary beer and um, get paid for basically just sitting there and listening to Ryan Fitzpatrick waffle on for three hours. Um, I, I think he would be just absolutely enthralling. Even if he's rubbish... The first two or three times, people will tune in to see what he has to say. I think the reality is it would be great. And if he doesn't have a career in, in the booth, he's got a career in coaching because he's such an intelligent character. He's had so many experiences in the NFL. I don't think you'll find a single player in the NFL that will say a bad word about him because he's, his leadership skills are so on point. He's got the entire... but. He's a Harvard graduate. He may end up doing just something completely different. He may end up volunteering for a, a non-profit organisation and saving lives in Africa. You never know. Right, I'm going to start it here and now. Ryan Fitzpatrick for president. Who's with me? <laughs> can, can, can I tell you just a couple of things? And Ian, you make an interesting point. I think Brady's going to be terrific in the booth. I just, I just think he will be. I've got that gut feeling. About Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know where I'd put him? I'd put him in a radio booth where he'd have much more time to tell stories and breathe, especially in games, you know, if they get blown out and things like that. I would want him in the radio booth because I think he would be perfect. I'm not sure Tom Brady would necessarily work in that way. For a guy who's had two winning seasons since 2005, he has carved himself out remarkably into the NFL. He went 10 and 6 uh, with the Jets in 2015. He went 4 and 3 with Miami in 2020. This is not what you would class your typical successful quarterback. Yet look at what he's done, how he's built his image, how he's approached the game. And it's all of these things that tells me he's going to be a success beyond football, whether that's in a broadcast booth, whether that is, as he says, going to lead a non-profit. I think he's just a genuinely interesting person. And I think he's the polar opposite in many ways to Tom Brady, you know, with, with all these rings, with all these wins, all these Super Bowl. I think they'll be both fine in the broadcast booth. But yeah, I, I admire Ryan Fitzpatrick, he, if you look at his stats, you know, he's had 13 comeback wins, 18 game-winning drives, but I think he is something like, what, 59 and 87? It's not normally the kind of numbers you get that would take you into a broadcast booth with everybody chasing you. Yeah, yeah definitely be interesting to see where he ends up, that's for sure. Can I give you an interesting stat surrounding uh, the Frank Gore um, retirement? Yep. Um, with Frank Gore retiring and the possibility that Adrian Peterson will not sign for a club this season, he's still a free agent, um, we will be going into this NFL season with nobody in the top 50 rushing list being an active player. Um, I don't think that's happened before. I think there's always been at least one player on the top 50 active list uh, for rushing yard leaders. Um, so this will be the, the first time, which is maybe an indictment of uh, how far the running back position has tumbled in the eyes of the decision makers in the NFL. 
is it that or is it the the utilization of running backs more as receivers out in the back has impacted on those pure rush numbers? Um, it'd be interesting to look at what those numbers combined would be and whether there's anybody, because you got to imagine that some of those receiving backs might well, as a combined view, be in that top 50. I don't know. No, that's a good point. Um, you probably look at players like Austin Eckler, wherever they can start creeping into that. But I think it's legitimately GMs draw a line. Mm. And uh, as soon as that running back hits 28, that's it. They're not going to be brought in. And it's it's phenomenal that somebody like Frank Gore had such a, a long career. And we we're talking about, I was talking about the leadership of um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And uh, there must be something there with Frank Gore that teams keep bringing him in. He must be such a model professional that they, they yearn to have him mentoring others in that offensive um uh, what could a room be? Offensive uh, meeting group. There you go, meeting group. Yeah. I was going to say kit room. That's, that's our version <laughs> of football. <laughs> the concept that American footballers actually clean their own boots, I don't think that happens at all. All right. Uh, well, just about at the point where we're going to wrap things up for episode 192, just a couple of things to touch on. Obviously, the very sad news about Jeff Gladney, who very sadly passed away at the age of 25. And then we also lost Marion Barber at just the age of 38 as well. Always sad to hear about any NFL player passing. Our thoughts go out to the, the families of all. Um, but yeah, um, like we say, when there's not a lot of football news going on, these things really stand out as well as as uh, obviously big stories. So it's very sad, very sad. Um, moving on from that, like I say, we will over the summer probably be a little bit quiet during the off-season ourselves. You know, this is where typically we start to plan and start looking ahead to the 2022 season. We are continuing to do that, and there's a number of things that we're working on at the moment. We will share what our plans are as soon as we possibly can, uh, once we've actually decided what we're going to do. But lots coming down the line. Big shout out I'm going to give, before we come on to some of that, to the uh, Western Isles NFL show at the WINFL show. I appeared on their podcast earlier this week. Please check them out. Please give them a follow. A couple of guys up there in Lewis, and they do a bloody good podcast. So, you know, we're all about promoting the growth of the community here in Scotland. That's what we set up to do. That's what we are all about. We want to get people talking about American football. And those guys are doing great. So I had a great time on the show. Make sure you give them a listen. Put them into your repertoire. Put them into your podcast list. Uh, guys are doing great. So go check that one out. But from our side, like I say, we are working on things and we'd really like to hear your thoughts on this. What would you like to see us do? What would you like to see from this podcast? You know, we are looking at doing our live events again this year. Um, I've just had, as we talked about before, my first wee one. I don't have as much time as I did before. So good God, I'm trying to find some space to do some planning, but we are working on it. But other things as well, you know, if there was the potential opportunity for us to get some former NFL players over to Scotland to do some events, is that something that you'd be interested in? Is that something that you would like us to do? Would you attend? Do you think that people would come along to that? We really want to hear your thoughts. And guys, anything that you want to add to that? Listen, it's not a case of um, us potentially. I, I have two NFL players banging the door, desperate to come over to Scotland because of the reputation of the Scottish fans. Um, so we need to know, will they be welcomed by yourselves? It's going to cost a bit of money to obviously get um, people over and we've got fingers crossed that COVID doesn't get in the way again. But if you guys are going to support it, then they're definitely going to come over and um, we're going to have a lot of fun. 
And I can absolutely guarantee you there'll be nothing like Wembley ticket prices. <laughs> absolutely nothing like Wembley ticket prices. Well, guys, we're, we're recording this podcast on Friday morning. And ju- just to give a little uplift to end the podcast, because sometimes you do wonder where we are in life and you just need a good news story. Boris Johnson has just been booed going into St. Paul's Cathedral for the Queen's <laughs> Memorial Service. That restores my faith. In humanity. Well done to everybody. Who was, it, was it by the royal family? Was Prince Charles giving him the finger as he was walking in? I, I think everybody, which is great. I know we're not <laughs> supposed to be political, but let's see the funny side of that at least. Absolutely. Um, I bet it was him that did the bloody Wembley prices. Um, okay, that is everything. No, they, they, they wouldn't have come out on time. There's no <laughs> chance. Absolutely no chance. He probably would have given you prices for Highbury. Uh, yeah, he he would have insisted they'd be in shillings now as we go back. Oh, yeah, good. <laughs> right, well, that's everything for episode 192 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please continue to share your thoughts. And we do want to hear what you'd like to see us do at Scotland NFL on Twitter. And you can search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. Yes, my thanks to you, Stephen, for joining us. My thanks to my rather sleep-deprived co-host, Cameron Hobbs. Let's wish him a good night's sleep at some point over the next week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back very soon. Bye for now.